The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Welcome to the Flowered Path. In this episode, I will be speaking with Sister Mary Josefa of the Eucharist. She is a member of the Benedictines of Mary, Queen of the Apostles. The Benedictines of Mary recently made the news when their foundress, Sister Wilhelmina Lancaster, was exhumed and found to be incorrupt. Sister Mary Josefa will be speaking with me about a children's book she and her sisters have created entitled Brides of Christ. And of course, I couldn't resist asking some questions about Sister Wilhelmina as well. I'll also be presenting some short sayings and tales called Saints of the Desert by St. John Henry Newman. Before we get to the show, I want to thank new patrons Anna Maria Shannon and Astrid Steinhilber, who also gave a donation on top of joining the Patreon. Thank you both so much. Patrons and donations help me make The Flowered Path and bring you more content. All patrons get the regular episodes of The Flowered Path commercial-free, often before they drop on the regular podcast feed. Rose and Orchid Tier patrons get shout-outs on the show, and occasional exclusive content like extra episodes, and my podcast within a podcast called Petals and Thorns. That's available exclusively on Patreon. Orchideer patrons get monthly merch mailings as well. Sometimes it's things I create, and sometimes it's things I find that are related to the podcast. This month, they got a calendar of saints for 2024. In the past, they've gotten things like t-shirts, mugs, books, prayer cards, saint medals, and handmade rosaries. To check out the different tiers of support, go to patreon.com slash theflowerpath. You can also find a PayPal link if you want to make a one-time donation. Just click the support button at theflowerpath.com and then look for the PayPal button that says donate. Brides of Christ is a new children's book published by Sophia Institute Press. It's a sweet book that's a window into the daily lives of the Benedictines of Mary, Queen of the Apostles. 
As I mentioned in the opening, I talked with Sister Mary Josefa about the book, and also a bit about Sister Wilhelmina Lancaster. Before I get to the interview with Sister Mary Josefa, I'll replay the news story about Sister Wilhelmina from episode 16 of The Flowered Path. On May 18, 2023, a group of nuns in Gower, Missouri, prepared to transfer the body of Sister Wilhelmina Lancaster, the founder of their community, from the convent graveyard to a final resting place in their chapel. The sisters were surprised to discover that Wilhelmina's exhumed remains were remarkably well-preserved, with few signs of decomposition, even though her body was never embalmed, had been buried for almost four years, and was exposed to moisture and mold for much of that time due to a crack in the coffin. It's also notable that her habit, made of natural fibers, was in excellent condition along with her veil, crucifix, and rosary. Word has quickly spread of the seemingly miraculous findings. In recent days, hundreds of pilgrims have made the journey to view, touch, and pray over Sister Wilhelmina's body, which has been on display at the convent. The Diocese of Kansas City, St. Joseph, has released a statement on the matter, emphasizing the importance of protecting the integrity of Wilhelmina's remains in order to allow for a thorough investigation and emphasizing that a cause for her sainthood has not been initiated. Thus, she is not to be venerated as a saint at this time. As of May 29th, Wilhelmina's body will be placed in a glass shrine at the convent chapel. Visitors will still be able to view the body, touch remnants of her habit, and take dirt from her grave. Sister Wilhelmina Lancaster was 95 years old when she passed away, May 29, 2019, on the vigil of the Solemnity of the Ascension. A great-granddaughter of the enslaved, she was raised in the Catholic Church and had her heart set on becoming a nun by the time she was 13 years old. She took her vows just two and a half years after graduating high school. Her decades of service to the church include teaching, writing poetry, and collaborating on musical compositions, and, at the age of 70, founding the Benedictine Sisters of Mary, Queen of the Apostles, a primary contemplative order. The Sisters of Mary went on to become globally known and celebrated for their beautiful recordings of Gregorian chant and Catholic hymns. Sister Wilhelmina was especially devoted to the Latin Mass and to the traditional version of the nun's habit, which occasionally drew reaction and commentary from other sisters. Many articles and anecdotes describe her as uniquely determined to live according to the highest standards of discipline for religious life, and she is said to have occasionally quipped, I am Sister Wilhelmina. I've a hell of a will, and I mean it. Catholic News Agency reported that Jack Klein, owner of Hicks and Klein Funeral Home in Gower, Missouri, issued Sister Wilhelmina's death certificate and attended her burial. Klein confirmed that the sister's body was not embalmed, and likewise that her wooden coffin had no outer container or concrete vault placed around it. CNA further quoted David Hess, a program director and associate professor of mortuary science at Salt Lake Community College, who said, If the body was not embalmed, and it was still intact after four years, that one kind of throws me. I would have expected the body to be decomposed, 
maybe not all the way down to the bone, but at least severely decomposed. Visitors have noted that there is no smell of decomposition associated with Sister Wilhelmina's body. Some have even reported the smell of flowers around her remains. David Hess continued, It's kind of strange if the body was not embalmed, that there would be no odor. Barry Lease, president and CEO of the Pittsburgh Institute of Mortuary Science, was quoted by CNA saying, An unembalmed body in the ground for four years should have some odor coming off of it that would be noticeable. Lease continued, If you're telling me that this woman went into the ground, unembalmed, in a wooden box, with no outer container, and it was not sub-zero up in Alaska, I'm telling you I'm going to start a devotion to this sister because there's something special going on there. While incorrupt bodies are not a requirement for sainthood and do not meet the conditions for miracles attributed to an elected saint, they are considered a potential sign of holiness. There are over 100 known saints with remarkably preserved remains, known as the Incorruptibles. I will delve more into the Incorruptibles in a future episode. I'd like to welcome Sister Mary Josefa of the Eucharist to the Flowered Path. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing well, Timothy. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, thanks so much for coming on the show. I read the wonderful little book that we're going to be talking about today, Brides of Christ. It's published by Sophia Institute Press. It's a children's book, but I think there's a lot to live there for everybody and a lot to learn as well. Before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I grew up in a homeschooling family. I heard the call to become a religious rather early on, thanks to the good books that my parents gave me about the saints. I noticed a pattern. Many of these saints were religious, and so I thought, maybe God wants me to be a nun. And I thought about it, but I didn't see nuns. I didn't know how one became one. So I had this little dream, but it stayed on hold until I was actually finished with college. But thanks be to God, in his providence, I attended a Catholic college, Thomas Aquinas College in California, where I met many other young people who were discerning religious life. And so they gave me ideas where you could visit or how one could discern God's call, which I found invaluable in my own path. A good priest friend introduced me to the Benedictines of Mary, Queen of Apostles. And I was very happy the first time that I visited just to see how much it, it resonated with my childhood dream. And so I entered shortly after I finished my studies. And I've been now in the convent for over 13 years. In your bio, it mentions you have a twin sister, and I'm just curious, yes. I'm a father of twins, I'm just curious if uh, uh, she took a similar path in life as you did. No, she didn't. You know, she, did, she didn't discern her religious vocation. Sometimes I, I think, even though we were, <laughs> twins are very close in many respects, we were fraternal twins and had different personalities, so yeah. um, she's on a different path than I. Mine are fraternal as well. So I'm interested in the process of discernment of the various orders. How were you called to the Benedictines of Mary? Was it more of an intellectual choice or something more from your heart? I think that there were elements of both. I know when I was younger, I thought I would become a Dominican because all of my favorite saints were Dominicans. Mm -hmm. But as I grew up, I, I thought about the sort of life that a Dominican usually leads in the classroom. And one priest I remember said, oh, you want to be a Dominican? Then you want to be a teacher. And it wasn't that I was opposed to becoming a teacher, but I, I felt like I wasn't really called to be in a classroom setting 
it just felt very foreign to me. Maybe because of the homeschool background, I'm not sure. But I felt like there there was something deeper that I was desiring. And I realized later, I I thought, I, I don't want just to do something for Christ, like be a teacher, be a nurse. I want to be his bride. I want to be uh, united to him in a spousal way, first of all. And so that actually started pointing me toward the contemplative vocation. I think of the contemplatives as being like the stay-at-home mothers within the church. Mm. And I'm not saying that the active sisters don't have that spousal relationship, but the way they live it out is in the classroom or in the hospital, in the nursing home. And I think our Lord was trying to point me to a more interior sort of life when I realized I didn't want to be primarily a teacher. I wanted to be primarily his. He was leading me toward a more interior way of life. The book we're talking about today, The Brides of Christ, again, it's published by Sophia Institute Press. I like that it's credited simply to the Benedictines of Mary. Is this because there were multiple authors or is this for the sake of modesty? I know some religious orders do that, <laughs> you know. Yes. Actually, there were several sisters who collaborated on it. It was Mother Abbas's idea, first of all. Mm-hmm. It was. Uh, it had mm-hmm. an interesting beginning. Uh, several of us were sent from the Abbey to start a daughter house four years ago. And so having two houses of sisters, we started exchanging notes between each other, just describing what life was like, um, the different adventures we each had, so to speak. But some of the sisters, the more artistic ones, started doodling their life. <laughs> you know, hmm. they would sketch a funny event that happened in the community. And so, so they would set up little cartoons. And Mother Abbas was seeing these sketches going back and forth. And she conceived the idea, well, this is a beautiful way to introduce people to our, our life. It's very intimate. It's very personal. And it's surprisingly true to life. So she commissioned one sister to do the drawings. And then I think she and another sister collaborated with the man who did the lyric side commentary on the pictures. So there were several several sisters involved in the whole thing. So your order has recently had a lot of attention due to the <laughs> Sister Wilhelmina Lancaster's body being found incorrupt. Was the book planned before all of that? It was, actually. We had started it earlier in the year, and the idea there was just to share what life is like in the cloister, because I think there's a lot of unnecessary mystery surrounding it, and maybe even a bit of fear or misconception, people looking in from the outside. And we wanted to show young children who might be considering a vocation, but also the parents and families who would be supporting a young woman in her vocation, to see that, yes, it's a very joyful and fulfilling life, uh, a life lived close to God, even though it would involve separation from the world, a life lived close to God is is the best, most satisfying uh, life that one could imagine. And so it overflows in joy. That was, I think, the idea behind the book. There is a little cameo from Sister Wilmina in the book, if you remember the elderly sister in a wheelchair. Yes, yes. That was our little tribute to her in the book. <laughs> but it was that was sketched even before we had exhumed her grave. And so we didn't know that the whole world would <laughs> get so closely acquainted with Sister Wilhelmina <laughs> shortly. Are you tired of talking about her? Or can, you, can you answer a few questions about Sister Wilhelmina? Oh, no, not at all. Okay. Sure. I was very blessed to enter the community nine years before she passed away. So all of my formation years as a postulant and novice, first professed, I was really privileged to spend in close contact with her one of the jobs that the younger sisters were given was to help her throughout the day, to make mm-hmm. sure she was able to get to the chapel on time, to help her with walks, to read aloud with her. 
And I think it was invaluable for our formation to see religious life lived out to the very end. We're a very young community. When I entered, most of the sisters were still in their 20s and 30s. And so to see Sister Wilhelmina living over 75 years of religious life and being faithful in the daily in and out, despite the ups and downs that go with growing elderly, it was very influential for us. And I remember one of the other sisters uh, who was assigned to care for her, she remarked, Sister Wilhelmina makes everything she does into a prayer. And I too was struck by the faith that she encountered each activity of the day. Uh, she would say, if you asked her, what do you want to do right now, sister? Do you want to take a walk? Do you want to pray the rosary? Do you want to visit the chapel? She would look at you very intently and say, I want to do what God wants me to do. Hmm. What does God want me to do right now? And so we realized just by her example, not by her preaching, but just her example, that the life that we lead in the convent is supposed to be that intimate contact with the will of God at every moment. It's not about doing what I feel like doing. I'm taking some me time or doing my favorite thing. But it was just seeing everything as coming from God, his expressed will with the bell, with the direction of the superior. And so I, I found that was a beautiful example for us younger sisters. And then, of course, her very tender love for the Blessed Mother was a beautiful example also. Um, she was, her favorite thing was to pray the rosary outside of attending Holy Mass. And I think that she, she shared that love for the rosary for the Blessed Mother with all of us, too. For those who don't know, Sister Wilhelmina founded the Benedictines of Mary, is that correct? Yes, and it was a great personal sacrifice because she had already been over 50 years in her first community, a faithful member, um, but in the turmoil of the 60s and 70s, a lot of experimentation entered into religious life across the board. And so Sister Wilhelmina was disheartened to see her community set aside the habit and to start to lose certain practices like the communal prayer, silence in the cloister, all these things that she recognized as safeguarding her life as a bride of Christ were starting to be experimented with or even set aside. And so she tried for years to start a more traditional branch of her community. And finally, she realized it would be more effective to start afresh rather than to reform. And so even though she was over 70 years old, she left her religious family and started our community with two other companions. Wow. And she wasn't superior for very long. It was only the first year or so, but she really formed the spirituality that we would have as Benedictines. And as Benedictines of Mary, Queen of Apostles, she wanted us to be always united in prayer with Our Lady for the priests and for all the souls whom priests would minister to. So she, she was very clear we would have this Benedictine spirituality and this Marian character. And then, of course, as she grew older and had to withdraw to some extent from some of the community activities, she remained that silent presence and witness, the example that we all needed as a young community of fidelity and faith all the way to the very end. I did not know she founded it that late in life. That is amazing. Yes. Wow. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean. First of all, you know, a great example. At that age, most people think they're done. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, like a great example, not only in in prayer and and in, and living a, a religious life, but also in like, hey, it's not too late. You know, it's not too mm -hmm. late to to start something big later on. That's wonderful. Yes. Absolutely wonderful. 
And just a note for the listeners, because we did do an episode on Mother Mary Lang. So she, Sister Wilhelmina started with the Oblate Sisters of Providence. Yes, she did. Yeah. So what was the reason that she was being exhumed anyway? Yes, we wanted to bring her relics into our Abbey Church. It's not unfrequent that a monastic community will have the relics of the founder or the foundress in the Abbey Church. Okay. Um, so we had made plans to have a side altar dedicated to St. Joseph, and we thought that would be an appropriate place for the relics. We weren't expecting that there would be so many relics. Mm. We weren't expecting to be in such a remarkable state of preservation. But it, uh, it was an extraordinary grace for our community, and I, I hope for other people, too, just to, the sign of hope that that is, the sign that God is attentive and hears our prayers, and precious in his eyes is the death of his faithful ones. It was stunning, and it was stunning to see the story sort of, I guess, go viral in a sense and just go international quickly. <laughs> And how many people I saw talking mm-hmm. about it was really, really amazing. I know that incorruptibility, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's not a condition or a cause for sainthood, but it may be used sort of as an indicator, a signpost along the way, so to speak. It's not considered one of the miracles you need to become a saint, in other words, but it's, right. it's someone looking into uh, putting Sister Wilhelmina on that road. Well, there is a certain process that the church observes in her prudence. So they wait, the church waits to open a cause for canonization until five years after the person's death. Mm-hmm. So we're still within those five years. Okay. So it would have to wait a while longer before it could officially start. And has all of this new attention changed your lives in any way there at the monastery? <laughs> you know, I think remarkably it has not. Um, of course, for us on the foundation in southern Missouri, we were touched by very little because of the distance from the event. So we just continued our life, ora and labora, prayer and work, just as, as normally as possible. But even at the Abbey, when they were receiving even thousands of visitors a day, the sisters were able to keep to their schedule, keep the times for prayer and silence with remarkably little disruption. And I think that might have been a grace that Sister Wilhelmina prayed for, There were so many friends and volunteers who stepped in, Knights of Columbus, neighbors, and they took care of the crowds. You know, they they helped um, keep watch at Sister Wilhelmina's body. They helped with the parking issues, with the control of lines. They manned the gift shop. They passed out food for the lines. So all the, the lay volunteers were extremely generous, and so the sisters were able to continue their life of silence and prayer with remarkably little disruption. That's amazing. So being a Benedictine, does that mean you, you follow the rule of St. Benedict? Yes, and we try to follow it as uh, authentically, as traditionally as we can. So um, it's always a joy to hear it read every year. We try to read it three times in the course of the year aloud at table. And I always am struck by how carefully we do follow it in little details. So we begin our day before the dawn, and we chant the psalms in community in the chapel, we alternate the psalms with periods of private prayer, just as St. Benedict prescribes. And then after the sun rises, then we set out to work. But we work in silence as much as we can to try to keep that recollection and attention to the Lord in our hearts. And then there are different events in the course of the day. Of course, Holy Mass being the climax of the day. And then we take our meal in silence after that with table reading to remind us that while we nourish the body, we can't leave off nourishing the soul. Mm-hmm. And there's one hour a day of recreation when we talk 
freely among ourselves. Most of the time we're keeping silence, but during that hour of recreation, we talk and we laugh, and it's a very familial, sisterly exchange among us. Sometimes we take a hike, sometimes we have handwork that we need to do, food processing, weeding in the garden. It doesn't really matter, just as long as we're talking together. Mm -hmm. And then after the recreation, there's more time for silent prayer. We pray the last office of the day, Compline and the chapel together. And then we re-enter the grand silence of the night when we don't speak at all. Uh, and we try to preserve as much as we can that close union with Christ, our bridegroom. That's absolutely beautiful. And this rule was written, I, we did an episode on St. Benedict and I'm forgetting the dates, but this is a very, very <laughs> old document that he wrote himself yeah, like many, many yeah. years ago. Yeah, He's considered the father of Western monasticism Yes, because it was, his rule was written so early. Everyone else models monastic life on it. Back to the book, The Brides of Christ. I very much like that it, it's at once a look at a nun's life from postulant to novitiate to perpetual vows, but it's also a kind of a day in the life book as well. You get th those two mm -hmm. things in the in the same book. Is it fairly accurate to your day to day work? It really is. We enjoy watch reading the book on foundation because um, it all of the scenes are life at the abbey. Mm -hmm. So the pictures are drawn of the church or of the gardens. They're all familiar places to us, and then the sisters are very recognizable too. We recognize the sister working on the carpentry oh, or even okay. using the chainsaw. There's one sister wearing wooden Dutch shoes. Mm -hmm. yes. <laughs> and that reminds us of the two sisters who joined from Holland. Okay. <laughs> uh, we see Sister Wilhelmina works in the wheelchair. There's one picture of a postulant who uh, is trying to milk the cow, but the calf is trying to eat her veil. Yes. And that reminds us of the time that actually did try to happen. <laughs> Luckily, the postulant rescued her veil before the calf ingested it. <laughs> but all of these are, are little little things that really did happen. And the sister who drew the illustrations, I think, had a quick eye and a good memory for capturing the humor, the joy, all the little things that make up our life. It seems like you're planning your own food, you're making your own meals, you're doing work around the grounds. Is the monastery at least somewhat mm -hmm. self-sufficient? We try to as much as possible. Uh, St. Benedict says in his rule, they are truly monks when they live by the labor of their hands. So at the abbey, there are dairy cows and goats. There's a flock of chickens, honeybees. Um, and we do have a big garden that we try to maintain, even in greenhouses after the normal growing season is gone. Here on Foundation, we're just getting started, so we don't have the the dairy cows and chickens yet but we're looking forward to that point when we can become more sufficient also and the book mentions making recordings are these recordings made oh, yeah. on, on the premises as well yes and that has been a great blessing for our community to be able to share our sung prayer uh, the visitors who come are always struck by our silence and then the, the sung prayer in the chapel but it's it's beautiful to be able to share that with people who can't visit and so mother abbas uh, who has a great gift for music, arranged many traditional hymns or even wrote her own, and we sang them together. Um, we tried to, to make liturgical recordings. So there's one for Advent, one for Christmas, one for Lent, one for Easter. And it's a beautiful way to share our life of prayer 
with the laity. It looks like on the website there's at least a dozen CDs available presently. That sounds yes, like, yeah. I think we've done yeah twelve recordings. Sounds about right. <laughs> wow. When did when did you start making the recordings? The first one was actually released the Christmas before I entered. So in two thousand nine, um, the sisters had recorded a a Christmas CD, and then the others we made almost every year or every other year since I entered. So they're available from your website. I actually ordered two today. They're, they're very beautiful. Oh, wonderful. Like, yeah, you, there's sample, you can Thank listen you. to samples. And I was, and I was like, oh, I, I absolutely love this. So I ordered two today. They're also available at Amazon. So they're out there for people. That's a way that they can support you and support what you're doing and get some beautiful music as well. And I will put a link to the website uh, and the gift shop in the show notes with this episode. Does the whole community participate in the recording? For a while, we did. Once you get up to be about 45 sisters, though, it's a little bit harder to coordinate a musical rehearsal and still keep the life moving. Mm -hmm. So I think the, the first uh, five or seven, maybe more, we had all the sisters singing for all of them. And actually, for our, our Caroling at Ephesus CD, you can hear Sister Wilhelmina singing. Oh, wow. She didn't normally sing with us because she was so elderly at that point. But Mother Abbas thought it would be beautiful to, to have her join in for the O Come All Ye Faithful mm -hmm. selection. So if you listen carefully, you can hear her voice in that, which is a beautiful thing for us to still have, to hear her singing like that. Yeah, absolutely. But as we grew, you know, now we're over 50 sisters. We just have a select group do the recording so that the cows can still be milked, the food can still be prepared. Right, sure. We can still carry on with our life as normal. Yes. Sister Wilhelmina is now laid to rest in the chapel there? She's at the, our Abbey Church Okay. in, in the side altar that's dedicated to St. Joseph. So it's the laity who come to visit, as they walk in, they'll see the sanctuary in front of them, and then off to the right they'll see Sister Wilhelmina in this glassed-in case below the altar to St. Joseph. Okay. And people are still visiting, I assume? Yes, they are. I think still 100 or 200 a day will come through. Isn't that amazing? That's fantastic. Oh, I wanted to make the journey, but I, it's just been a busy time for me. I'd, I'd love to get out there and see that. I understand, but she's still there if you ever do. Sure, yeah. Well, hopefully for a long, long time as well. Okay, the book is called The Brides of Christ. Again, it's published by Sophia Institute Press. Sister Mary Josefa, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for sharing this book with the world and sharing the work that your order does with the world as well. Thank you. We're very grateful for your spreading the word about our book and our community. And please be assured of our prayers for you and your ministry too. Oh, thank you so much. And should I just direct people to the website as well as Sophia Institute Press for the book, but should I direct them to the website if they want to make donations? Yes, that would be wonderful. Okay, thank you so much. You have a great night. God bless you. God bless you. Once again, the book is called Brides of Christ. It's published by Sophia Institute Press. Links can be found in the show notes for this episode at thefloweredpath.com.
following sayings were taken from a series of articles penned by St. John Henry Newman and published under the title of Saints of the Desert in the Catholic World Magazine, Volume 3, 1866. Abbot Antony pointed out to a brother a stone and said to him, Revile that stone and beat it soundly. When he had done so, Antony said, Did the stone say anything? He answered, No. Then said Antony, Unto this perfection shalt thou one day come. When Abbot Arsenius was ill, they laid him on a mat and put a pillow under his head, and a brother was scandalized. Then said his attendant to the brother, What were you before you were a monk? He answered, A shepherd. Then he asked again, And do you live a harder or easier life now than then? He replied, I have more comforts now. Then said the other, Cease thou this abbot, when he was in the world, he was the father of emperors. A thousand slaves with golden girdles and tippets of velvet waited on him, and rich carpets were spread under him. Thou hast gained by the change which has made thee a monk. It is thou who art now encompassed with comforts, but he is afflicted. When Abbot Agato was near his end, he remained for three days with his eyes open and steadily fixed. His brethren shook him, saying, Abbot, where are you? He replied, I stand before the judgment seat. They said, What, Father, do you too fear? Think of your works. He made answer, I have no confidence till I shall have met my God. Abbot Pastor was asked, Is it good to cloak a brother's fault? He answered, As often as we hide a brother's sin, God hides one of ours, but he tells ours in that hour in which we tell our brothers. Abbot Elonius said, Unless a man says in his heart, I and my God are the only two in the world, he will not have rest. Abbot Pombo, being summoned by St. Athanasius to Alexandria, met an actress and forthwith began to weep. I weep, he said, because I do not strive to please my God as she strives to please the impure. An old monk fell sick and for many days could not eat, and his novice made him some pudding. There was a vessel of honey, and there was another vessel of linseed oil for the lamp, good for nothing else, for it was rancid. The novice mistook and mixed up the oil in the pudding. The old man said not a word, but ate it. The novice pressed him and helped him a second time, 
and the old man ate again. When he offered it the third time, the old man said, I have had enough. But the novice cried, Indeed, it is very good. I will eat some with you. When he had tasted it, he fell on his face and said, Father, I shall be the death of you. Why didn't you speak? The old man answered, Had it been God's will that I should eat honey, honey thou wouldst have given me. Some old men came to Abbot Antony, who, to try their spirits, proposed to them a difficult passage of scripture. As each in turn did his best to explain it, Antony said, You have not hit it. Till Abbot Joseph said, I give up. Then cried Antony, He has hit it, for he owns that he does not know it. When the abbot Arsenius was at the point of death, his brethren noted that he wept. They said then, Is it so? Art thou too afraid, O father? He answered, It is so, and the fear that is now upon me has been with me ever since I became a monk. And so he went to sleep. Abbot Pastor said, We cannot keep out bad thoughts, as we cannot stop the wind rushing through the door, but we can resist them when they come. Abbot Bessarion said, when he was dying, A monk ought to be all I, as the cherubim and seraphim. They asked Abbot Macarius how they ought to pray. The old man made answer, No need to be voluble in prayer, but stretch forth thy hands frequently and say, Lord, as thou wilt, and as thou knowest, have mercy on me. And if war is coming on, say, Help. And he who himself knoweth what is expedient for thee will show thee mercy. On a festival, when the monks were at table, one cried out to the servers, I eat nothing dressed, so bring me some salt. Blessed Theodore made reply, My brother, better were it to have even secretly eaten flesh in thy cell than thus loudly to have refused it. An old man said, A monk's cell is that golden Babylonian furnace in which the three children found the Son of God. Abbot Cyrus said to a brother, If thou hadst no fight with bad thoughts, it would be because thou didst bad actions. For they who do bad actions are thereby rid of bad thoughts. But, said the other, I have bad memories. The abbot answered, They are but ghosts. Fear not the dead, but the living.
When Agato was dying, his brethren would have asked him some matter of business. He said to them, Do me this charity. Speak no more with me, for I am full of business already. And he died in joy. An old man visited one of the fathers. The host boiled some pot herbs and said, First, let us do the work of God, and then let us eat. Just a reminder about the Etsy shop. The shop name is Lost Grave. You can find links in the show notes. Besides a bunch of artwork, books, and other merch related to the other podcast I create, Strange Familiars, you can find a section for the Flowered Path there. And in that section, you can find paracord rosaries, handmade by me, the Petals and Thorn zine, Blessed Virgin Mary bandanas, and more. That's certainly another way you can help support the show through the Etsy shop. You can also like and subscribe wherever you're listening. That's free. Subscribe to The Flower Path on YouTube. Even if you don't listen there, it helps. Share the show with anyone who might be interested. And if you are so inclined, leave a nice review wherever you get the show. Thank you for listening. I'll be back soon with more. MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. From issuance, please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C.